If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Max Lugavere. Love this guy. He's one of my favorite people. We, I just fucking love him. You, you say that a lot. No, no. Well, I have a few favorite people. Yeah, no, you, you say that too much. Ma- no, 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 no. You no, should, no, 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 no. I think you should prep with Max. Max is like Max a, is the, he's like he's, he's us. Like one of, yeah, one of the boys. Max, yes. Mike, Jordan, Brink. I mean, there's there's a there's a handful, like less than ten. I know that guys that like we stay in contact on almost a daily, for sure, weekly basis. That's why like, I say that's he's one how, of them. He's one of the guys yeah. that we're that close with. And just because off air we've connected on whole I mean, no matter what, the guy professionally is incredible. His book's incredible. He's on TV now. He's got doing a all great, this great podcast. Got a great podcast. But he just he's for sure our people mm-hmm. um, outside of even the podcast. I wish that he lived close by because I think that him, him and Mike, both guys that live far away from us, that I think that we would probably mm-hmm. hang out with on mm-hmm. a regular mm-hmm. basis if they were. Nearby. He's a, just a super cool guy. He's got great guests on his podcast. His book. Has done exceptionally well. Dude's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, he's a very, very intelligent guy. It's funny that he said that he had trouble in, in school growing up. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Well, I, I think that says more about school than it does about you exactly. know about him. Um, but uh, I mean, again, we love Max. I was on his podcast a while ago. Had a great time. He's been on our podcast before that. Before his book, uh, you know, Genius Foods came out. Um, and uh, now that it's been out, it's been selling very, very well. He started yeah. his podcast afterwards. He mentions a documentary that I guess he's uh, been working on as yeah, well. Yeah, we have a great conversation in, in, in this episode. We talked to him about his personal life, which is kind of funny, yeah. asking about his dating life and, and what that's all like. Right out the gates. Well, he's a, he's a, he's a good-looking bachelor, you know what I mean? Yeah. Successful, good-looking dude. So, of course, we're going to ask him we're about that. We're just trying to stuff. dig a little. Yeah. yeah. We also, yeah. I, I brought up uh, the blue blockers with him, how, and he's a huge, huge advocate of that, which I was excited to introduce him to Felix Gray, which is one of our new sponsors. Yes. And yes. one of my favorite new sponsors that we have. Yeah. If you go to Felix Gray Glasses, that's F E L I X G R A Y glasses.com forward slash mind pump, you could check out, you know, all their stuff. And, we did talk about meat quality. Here's something that's interesting. He did talk in this episode, and we did a YouTube video afterwards where he, he clarified even deeper. Grass-fed meat, the profile of grass-fed meat is mirrors kind of the fatty acid profile of the human brain. Mm. When you when it's when it's corn-fed or grain-fed, it's uh, much higher in omega-6s and not quite as healthy mm-hmm. for you. And that's a big problem is that balance of fatty acids. And we did mention our other sponsor, ButcherBox, because all their food is... Is grass fed. grass fed and grass finished everything? Yeah, all the way through. Which, makes sure. which was the other part of it that's yeah. sneaky, right? Yeah. You get some of the grass fed, but they aren't grass fed. That's where a lot of these grocery stores. That's the hustle that people don't know is they they people are starting to get savvy with organic. They're starting to get savvy with grass fed meat, and then now the hustle is grass fed. But then what they do is the final two weeks they fatten them up with the grains, and they can still legally say grass fed grass fed on the yeah. label. So you're, what's neat about ButcherBox is you know that it's getting grass-fed and grass-finished. All the way through. Yep. So there are other sponsors. If you go to butcherbox.com forward slash mind pump, you'll get free bacon, two ribeyes. You're sold already. $10 off free and bacon. free shipping on your first order. Um, so Max, you can find Max. His podcast is the Genius Life Podcast. I highly recommend you go over and subscribe to it. He's got great guests on there, great conversations. His book, of course, is Genius Foods. 
you could buy that at any bookstore. You can buy it online. On you got to check out too his documentary that he's working on too. You can go look at the teaser at breadthemovie.com. It's breadhead. Movie. Oh, breadhead, not bread though. Yeah, breadheadmovie.com. And uh, that's it, man. Without any further ado, here we are talking to our good friend Max Lugavier. Max Lugavier. So we're we're on the podcast and we're hey. we're, ta- we're talking about the uh, the different names that uh, gay people call each other yeah. for uh, you know, stereotypes. It's just stuff that comes up. Gay, no. gay stereotypes. Yeah. There you go. Gay, yeah. gay, gay stereotypes that other gays call each other. And we're talking about what would each of us be. And so <laughs> and I said, instead of us speculating because we know nothing about this, let's reach out to our audience. I'm sure somebody has some sort of knows these terms and so they they sent over the list which by the way is way longer oh man yeah yeah it's like there's I like, no idea there's like 30 names it's a bunch of dudes right yeah. guys yeah. name that's what we do we name things things so yeah. right. he's a twunk yeah. He's a twunk. It's like a yeah. mix between a hunk and a twink. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. he has a, he has a, he has a girly face, but then the, the hunky, muscle. Because I have muscles. I, I can a, see that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's got Sal was a silver fox and a daddy. He was a combination of silver <laughs> fox and daddy. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, Justin yeah. is a muscle cub. A, a muscle cub. A muscle wow. cub. <laughs> a cub is like a bear, right? So like, like big, burly, right. hairy. But he's... Younger, so he's a cub, and then yeah. muscle. But I'm not also- even hairy, so I, you know, like I, it's arms, flawed. Right? I mean, I think, that, that's, I think that's a misconception. I, I like the terms. I feel like we should we should lay claim to them ourselves. I, yes. That's we're, I, every picture I see oh, going forward on Instagram. I'm hashtagging muscle yeah, cub. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's in my handle now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, Dude, every, I am the muscle. I wonder every, what I'd be. You? Yeah. <sighs> That's a tough one. Do we have the list? Do you remember? Do, you, you, you oh, yeah, actually, a, let's go over that. You yes, could be a silver fox, but you're too, you're no, too no, young. No, no, you don't have any silver yet. No, they, yeah. in fact, they said- Yeah, a little bit of silver. A little bit, a little bit. Well, are you are you younger? You're younger than Sal, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you couldn't, because Sal was too young to even technically be a silver fox, is what this guy said. Oh, it's like there's like an age. Yeah, you wouldn't be a gipster, because that's- uh, No, he's yeah, not hipster no, not too hipster I'm going to find the list here. But that huh. was one of them. And uh, yeah. not necessarily a twink, you know. No, no, no. I, I it's not too feminine. You guys yeah. give each other hand jobs while I find yeah, this yeah. real quick. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm rolling through them all. <laughs> Bro, every time Girl. like a jock, kind Girl. of a mix. Every time I see you, I gotta say, I have to make a comment on this, Max. Every time I see you in person or Insta story or Instagram. You're always with a, an attractive young lady. Oh man, a bunch of different. <laughs> are you, he just rolled you under the bus. Are you? Are you He's s- kind of like the Hugh Hefner of health food. Are you? Yeah, you're like yeah. The, you're like the wellness like. Uh, hey, that most, brain food's paying off. Buddy. Yeah, most eligible bachelor of the wellness world. Are you? Are you dating someone? Or are you single? I don't know. I'm. <laughs> I'm put him know. on the spot. That, that, <laughs> I don't know. I'm definitely no. I would say I'm. I'm single. I'm not. I'm not form formally in a relationship with anybody, but I do have close ties with. Uh, you know, with with a few females, but I'm. Uh, <laughs> is, is this your is this your politically correct way? Are you like are you in the uh, the on it thing? Like where were you like uh, it's the open, it open the Aubrey Marcus? Or do you uh, do you subscribe to the sex at dawn? I I do struggle with the the philosophy of monogamy, but I um it's never. I mean, you know, just from speaking from personal like actual experience, I've never, you know, when I was in monogamous when i've been in monogamous relationships i've never cheated um and i've never really felt the need to make it an open relationship um because i've always personally felt that when i've ever felt strongly enough about uh, a girl to be in a in a in an exclusive relationship with them i wouldn't really want to watch them See, getting, this is why all the girls like them so yeah, so getting. i'm well you know <laughs> what you what you sounds like you're the type of guy that which i i always tell guys to be like this which i think 
some dudes struggle with this and I think they get the bad rap when they become the the shady guy who's who's lying to all the girls just to hook up with all of them. Yeah. It sounds like you're very blunt and upfront. It sounds like if you have a girl meets you and you guys are hanging out and whatever happens, you you probably laid that foundation or are, yeah. you, are you someone like that? Do you, do you communicate that pretty well? Yeah. Like, this you is kind of where I'm foundation. at. Communication, honesty, I think they're integral parts of any solid relationship. But I just don't believe that it's possible to maintain... Uh, you know, a, a sexually appreciative relationship with somebody for the entirety of your life. So, you know, I'm not marriage, you know, the concept of marriage I struggle with, long-term monogamy I struggle with. But when I'm with somebody and I'm honestly, you know, like committed to that person, then I don't think it's, a, you know, I've never thought felt it appropriate to now, sleep with See, I compare monogamy to, because I've heard people make arguments about, you know, uh, what is it called? Uh, polyamory or open relationships? Yeah, and they make the evolutionary, you know, arguments and all that stuff. And the way I, I talk about it is like, look, you know, I we all have cravings for eating whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> yeah, but we don't. Like, why don't I go just eat a bunch of cake and a bunch of candy and a bunch of whatever all the time? Yeah, it's not good for me. And I think monogamy has been it's proven itself to be if you can do it and you can do it in a meaningful way, is proven to be a superior way. Of living doesn't come without its challenges. Yeah, of course. I think it's the ultimate expression of humanity in a in a sense and executive function because you know one of the um, cognitive abilities that would fall under the the umbrella of executive function is being able to delay gratification and mm. think altruistically. And so, you know, obviously when when you initiate a relationship, I think it's it's always going to be in the compassionate stage, you know, where it's like very sexual, very physical, but then eventually those relationships transition to companionate love. This is something I learned in, you know, and I, I majored in psychology in college and, um, and I think that that has benefits too, you know, especially as you age. I mean, that's something that, uh, is really helpful. I mean, that there are benefits to that. Absolutely. To that scenario. And now, then, and then, and then there's been, we've known this for a long time. And since this is your field of study, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, when we do observational studies on societies, monogamous ones versus ones where there's, uh, you know, a husband and many wives, monogamous relationships or, or societies far more peaceful, much more violent in yeah. the societies where people own multiple wives. And they, they think it has to do with the fact that you like the wealthy men at the top hoard all the whatever you want to call it, sexual resource or whatever, and then men at the bottom are left without any options and they become violent and whatever. Well, as, as humans, aren't we designed to seek novelty as it is, right? And then do you think that starts to decline as we get older? So maybe that's it's it's probably a more natural thing to wait to settle all the way down for a long-term relationship. What's your thoughts on totally, that? Totally, yeah. I mean, I think people's sex drives change. But I agree with that that idea about monogamy as it being sort of something that actually favors men. It guarantees sort of one sexual partner for every guy, even mm -hmm. if that guy doesn't happen to be, you know, at the top of the dating pool, so to speak. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, for somebody, I think, I think where monog monogamy really becomes difficult is for men with options. I mean, it sounds kind of, kind of crude to uh, talk about it that way. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Chris, was, Chris, Chris Rock says it best, man. You're, you're, guys are only as faithful as their options. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you always hear the guy who's bragging about, oh, just me yeah. and my wife. Like, Motherfucker, ain't no one trying to fuck you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's real easy to be fucking faithful when nobody wants to have sex with you. Try being the guy who's walked down the three, uh, street and pussy's getting thrown at him every five minutes. <laughs> Total different story. I mean, yeah. I mean, right? Tiger Woods, am I right? Yeah. I, I, every guy H that, hence why Max is like, no, I'm cool. I'm not. Well, I, I mean, I'm curious because, you know, when you when you said that and even the way that you articulated it, it really it sounds similar because I'm the same way, too. I'm not I'm not like 
against one way or the other way, or I feel like I, I stand on one side. Like, but I do have my own personal views. I think that um, I think many people's perception of what love is, I think, is distorted and confused with yeah. lust. And I think that uh, a lot of my personal experience in life and growing up, like, you know. I'm still learning to love myself fully. And I, I don't think that you can love another partner fully until you've learned to love yourself. And so, you know, I have different views on marriage and when to get married and things like that. Where, where do your views like that come from? Does it stem from childhood? Did you have an, a good or a bad example with your family or like where, where, where does that come from? I had a, I had a good question. By the way, I love how sensitive you guys are. Like, it's really cool. Cause I, cause I'm just talking about you, pussy flying yeah. out of <laughs> Well, okay. Fair. Yeah. But you're, but you're, sort of balances but, it but out. But you're able to volley between, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, really sort of like male, you know, locker room sort of conversation, but then also like you guys have like a, a, re- a soft center, yeah. Yeah. which is, yeah. which I appreciate. Okay. So my, my upbringing, my, um, I, my parents had a pretty bad marriage. Um, and so that's sort of the, the template that I'm trying to un- unwire mm. and, and rewire and, and sort of fix, you know, my parents were together for 18 years. They had a business together. They were great parents, but they, their relationship was totally crappy and they were both very poor growing up and they reached a, a level of success together with the business that they created. And the minute they became successful, my dad, um, you know, became kind of a woman, not a womanizer, but he definitely loved like boats, cars, hot women. And he cheated on my mom all the time. And, um, you know, that's, uh, well, you know, sort of well-known in my family, but nonetheless, they were both kind of, my mom's a very codependent woman and, uh, you know, they, they stayed together for a long time. And then finally, when I turned 18, they, they broke up, but they're both still, um, they never got remarried. My dad's, you know, in, in Miami, he's kind of alone by himself. And my mom sort of has a significant other, but somebody who she's not in love with and uh, certainly not attracted to sexually and still, I think, kind of longs for my dad. And it's just, you know, it kind of screwed me up in many ways, I think, mm, yeah. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I don't have that that template for what. Were you the youngest? I'm, I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah, oh, so, so you turned 18 and then they. Yeah. When I turned 18, I went to college. Mm. My parents got a divorce and yeah, just not, never, never great. My Do mom, my mom was like, you know, she had this like weird relationship with her mother. Her mother was always around, probably drive my dad nuts too. I mean, it wasn't all on my dad. Um, so yeah. When I, when I was you know, I didn't start to put this together. I loved psychology in college. Now I didn't go all the way through college and finish, but I, I, that was my first experience in taking a psychology class. And a lot of the books that I've read as I've gotten older is in that field. And that's really when I started to learn all this. Like I started to unpack it and go, oh, this is where this comes from. Because a lot of people would say to me, or especially girls that I'd be dating that, cause I wouldn't commit, I wouldn't settle down. I wouldn't give you, like, I'd get these girls that were great and we'd have this great chemistry and they'd be like, you know, they want to lock it up. And I'd be like, no. And I'd be very honest. I'd be say, Hey, you know, I really like you. I enjoy spending time with you and we can hang out, but I just, I know where I'm at in my life right now and I'm just not ready to at give. Least you're honest. Yeah. And yeah. I was, and it got me, I, it actually, I did really well for myself as far as like relationships. Like I don't have a lot of women out there that hate me or anything like that because I was truthful. Now it might've hurt their feelings when I first said it, uh, but they always respected me later on for that. Do you, do you remember what that was like for you, like going through college? Like, was that when you started to like kind of unfold all this or did you have similar situations and relationships? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, when I, when I went to, I went to school in, at uh, University of Miami in Florida and um, I, as a, as an undergraduate, I think my junior year of, um, of college, I met 
then who was the most beautiful girl who I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, I began dating her. And uh, we broke up, broke up after four months because she was a bit younger and she was sort of like immersed in the craziness that is South Beach and being young and hormone fueled mm. and being attractive in, the mo- in one of the most superficial cities on earth. Uh, and so that the relationship back then was kind of a nightmare, but we ended up getting back together a couple years later and, um, you know, dating and, and it kind of w- continued to be on and off for a couple years after that. And it's, uh, it's kind of a pattern that I kind of think maybe is, is a little bit illustrative of like my, the pattern that I saw in my parents mm-hmm. growing up, but, you know, I've dated, you know, many, many girls, but always sort of, um, I guess burdened with the the grass is greener on the other side, sure. you know, mentality. And, you know, my fear is that I'll, you know, one day, 20 years from now, I'll look back and I'll be like, look, the grass was greener because it was fucking fake. You know? <laughs> 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 but I don't know. You know, it's yeah. like... Um, you split your time uh, between East and West Coast quite a yeah, bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there a big difference in, in the people and dating between those two mm. coasts? It's hard, man. I don't, I mean, I don't really put a lot of energy into dating. I'm just not good at it. Like I don't, uh, you know, I'm not on any of these dating apps. I, you know, every time I try to go on it because I've heard, you know, anecdotally, some friends are really successful at it. I always find it to be a major waste of time and I'm just, I'm just not good at it. And, uh, yeah, I have like, I don't know, commitment issues. I can't even commit to a city. Like I'm, you know, (laughs) I, I don't even honestly know how to describe where I live. And, uh, but on the other hand, it's, it's allowed me to filter kind of that, that angst, I guess, about it into my career and into my work mm-hmm. and into my, you know, so. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause the last time you had, we had you on the show, great interview, by the way, um, yeah. love talking to you. You were, had just, or were just about to release your book, Genius yeah. Foods. Mm-hmm. Since then, blown up. We've seen you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, blown we up. watched you on Dr. Oz. I think we were in the hotel room. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, look, it's Max. Yeah, you know, awesome. like, yeah, yeah that was, was awesome because we just flown into and LA. We, we were there for something else, right? Yeah. yeah. We, and Justin and I had a room and we, as soon as we turned the TV on, it was like literally Max was on the TV. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is yeah. so crazy. So That's now, now you're like, it. you're like one of the guys or one of the people in this wellness world, which is riddled with a lot of false information. There's some great information there. There's a lot of snake oil and uh, there's a lot of what seems to be contrary information. What's that been like for you? Now now that you've blown up, how have things changed for you? Are people coming after you? Are people starting to try to debate you and discuss your ideas and say, well, that's Mm. not what this literature says or whatever. What's that been like? Um, it's a really good question. I mean, I think the, one of the, one of the coolest things is just the fact that the, that the book that I wrote genius foods has gotten out there. It's really, you know, I get, I get, dozens if not you know a hundred messages every single day across different platforms about how you know some way in which the book has helped improve the life of of another person you know people healthcare practitioners their patients are you know some of them dealing with cognitive problems they literally recommend my book to That's their cool. patients which is incredible That's so you know? awesome yeah wow. i mean I have, I have a background in journalism but i obviously did the homework but it's just amazing that my book is actually having such an impact on people's health so that to me is great. I, I get, you know, in, in certain areas, I'll get like recognized people coming up to me on the street, like telling me that they, that they love the book. That's like insane. That's weird, right? Um, in terms of like debating me. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I get, I'm, I'm in it for the truth. So for people that, that don't know if you're, if you're listening, like I, I wrote genius foods, which I consider to be the, the definitive care manual to the human brain. And I wrote it without any preconception, without any bias. The reason why I wrote it is because my mom has dementia and she has a, a sort of rare form of it, and it's fucking horrible. Like I, you know, I'm, I was just in New York for the past two weeks, spending as much time as I could with my mom, and it is 
unbearable to see the person that you love most in the world descend into, you know, this condition that is whatever the stereotype you have of, of a, of a, you know, person succumbing to the ravages of, de- of dementia. That's what my mom has right now. And it's, it's horrible and there's no way out. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's, there's nothing good to come of it. And so I really am dedicated to putting this, this, this truthful message of, you know, science and nutrition and how lifestyle can affect brain function out there in a way that's like, you know, accurate and, and, and free of bias and without marketing attached to it and, and any of that stuff. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of crap advice on the internet, especially like, you know, I've had a, a decent amount of success on Instagram lately on Instagram. I mean, you name it. Like, oh, geez. It's like the worst, you know, um, inter- there's obviously a lot of people putting out, or I would say a handful of, of good, you know, people out there putting, putting out good advice. But generally speaking, I mean, there's tons of misinformation. Whenever I post anything about meat, for example, I get, you know, hordes of, of, you know, plant-based vegan, you know, and I, I love vegans. I have nothing against, you know, making that, that carefully considered moral decision. You're about and, to go speak to probably a bunch of them in this weekend. Yeah, right? possibly. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good chance. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they always come out. They're so militant, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's just like, it's the religion. That's why yeah, I, I get, I get kind of tired, like batting them off and, you know, people just posting blatant pseudoscience on my, on my profile. And, you know, at first I was like trying to like debate everybody, but I mean, at this point I I really can't. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think, I think it's really cool. We live in an amazing time. We, we have a lot of answers. There's still a lot of unknown. So I don't ever purport to have all the answers. I don't, you know, but, um, but there's like cool people, citizen scientists out there doing their own research, providing insights, you know, adding to this sort of tapestry of knowledge that I think it's amazing. We live in a time that we all have access to um, because I sit in doctor's offices with my mom on the regular and mainstream medicine, man, like you don't want to get to the point. Like we are so poorly equipped in this society to- For chronic disease. For chronic disease. It's, I mean, I know- I don't want to just talk, you know, badly about the the medical profession because I have a ton of respect for medicine. I actually, deep down, I love medicine. I love the practice. I was pre-med for the first two years of college. And I know some doctors that are phenomenal, but the vast majority of experiences that I've had with my mom in the the traditional medical system has been disgusting, like Mm. just horrible. You know, doctors operating according to script, um you know, keeping, keeping my mom on drugs that are indicated for her, but not, you know, they're, they're, probably making her worse, you know, or likely, you know, contributing to, you know, her symptoms as opposed to actually alleviating any of them. Um, because of course, none of them have a disease modifying effect. So they're, it's basically just, you know, it's a, it's a nightmare. And, and also, you know, when it comes to my mom, I feel like in many ways she was victimized by not just the medical system, um, but medical, uh, or I should say health misinformation, that's been out there. You know, my mom was from a generation where they didn't have the internet. Like whatever she knows about health, she got from magazines. She got from media, the media of mm-hmm. her time, not social media, not, you know, clickbait, like, you know, websites and things like that. But like, like magazines, news digest and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so that's why like I have a real um, vendetta against anybody putting out nutritional misinformation mm-hmm. because it's actually doing harm, mm-hmm. you know, more harm than anybody with a social media account can possibly realize. Well, I, I think that's the same thing that we felt about yeah. fitness advice. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. we see the same thing in the, in the fitness industry is, you know, these people, and a lot of people, I think 
felt like when we first came out, thought it was like hate. And it's like, no, it's not. But it's that same vendetta that we have. If, you know, you guys don't realize that a lot of this information that you're giving these people out, we're doing more harm than good. We're supposed to be these health and fitness professionals. When you're advising people and you think you're motivating them with the, you know, beast mode, the all out, the no days off and the, you know, this push shit, it's like, you know, the average person sees that and they just try and emulate what you're doing. And what you don't realize is you end up setting that person back potentially a long years, potentially to get out of that hole. And we saw the same thing. I do see see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here with the, the with Western medicine in regards to nutrition. We're now seeing fields like nutritional uh, psychiatry yeah. starting to come out, which fit 10, 15 years ago, if you went walked into a, a you know a psychology class or you talked to a psychiatrist and you said, hey, I think you could treat depression with diet, they would laugh you out of the room. Yeah. Today, they're now studying the effects of how nutrition can affect the mind, and they're giving it a lot of credence with science and study. And it's difficult because science takes a while, I think, to catch up. But because of the internet, one thing that I'm seeing now, Max, is so I have a godson who's got Crohn's disease, and when he first got uh, when he first got diagnosed, something like seven or eight years ago, and there was very little in terms of, I mean, there was symptom control, and some of that was terrible. Some of it was basically low dose chemotherapy to kind of just you know shut down his immune system, but there wasn't anything that you know dietary that they really recommend. Basically, like well, just you know stay away from things that, that bother you. So my aunt went online. And in the past, you you could never listen to anecdote because it was one person or two people telling you, this is what worked for me. But when you go online and you have forums that are dedicated to Crohn's disease and you see thousands of anecdotes and people saying, hey, uh, this diet called the carbohydrate-specific diet, I think is the name of it, um, is helping all these people with Crohn's. My aunt, who's a, you know, she's a registered dietitian who was way like pro-Western medicine, when this happened, she went online and she's like, let me try this. And it, and it worked. Wow. Totally put him in remission. What do you think about all that when you're looking at some of this, some of this information that's coming out with nutritional I, psychiatry? And yeah. Crime? Well, I mean, the perfect example of that is, a, is an anecdote, you know, from, uh, from people online. But, I mean, specifically who comes to mind is Michaela Peterson, who I, th- oh, I feel like yeah. you guys have talked about. We had her on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like – you know, the carnivore diet is super interesting, right? Like on first glance, when I first heard about it, I was like, what is this bullshit? Like in light of everything <laughs> yeah. that I know about yeah. like the microbiome and, you know, the the value of fiber consumption, polyphenols, mm-hmm. like all that stuff. Um, I couldn't believe that a diet so extreme could be doing anybody any good. But then I thought about it and I actually have a, a pretty good, I think, working hypothesis as to as to what it may, what it may be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like for most people... Um, you know, for for most people, if you, when we were tribal, right, and living as hunter gatherers, you could almost assume that everybody in the tribe had a similar. If you made it past childhood without, you know, getting killed off by any number of pathogens, you probably had a fairly robust immune system, right? Very much so. Like you were born vaginally, you were breastfed, none of that formula crap, right? You were not overprescribed antibiotics, so you had a robust enough immune system, and there was genetic heterogeneity. So like you were, or homogeneity, I should say rather, you were all probably of the same gene pool in that tribe. And so you can get away, everybody in that tribe probably ate a similar diet, right? And, and probably felt fine. Today, the problem is we have widespread immune dysfunction. And you know, everybody is struggling these days. I mean, rates of autoimmunity are on the rise. And that's sort of, 
Yeah. So it's like exploding. People have dysfunctional immune systems to the point where their immune systems are attacking their own enzymes and tissues and proteins and things like that, right? People have sensitivities and allergies and, you know, conditions defined by chronic inflammation and things like that. So we all have these dysfunctional immune systems fed by the fact that the microbiome has become basically an afterthought, right? Like some of us are born via C-section. We're not breastfed. We, you know, are overprescribed antibiotics. We have an obsession with sterility and things like that. And so... For people with a dysfunctional immune system, I feel like it's one of these like context specific N of one, like no one size fits all dietary approach cases where, you know, plant compounds that initiate what's called molecular mimicry in the body may basically further confuse an already confused immune system. So for anybody with like autoimmunity, Crohn's disease, any any of these like sorts of conditions, it actually makes a lot of sense to me that by cutting out all plants, at least for a little while, that you're going to see a reprieve from symptoms. Well, the way, the mm-hmm. way, and that's very similar to, to the way I, I kind of explained it, because we had uh, Dr. Sean Baker on, who's the guy that's popularized the carnivore diet. And this is, we went a little back and forth with a little bit of debate. And I, I basically said the same thing. And mm-hmm. what people need to understand is the immune system, when you say robust immune system, I think yeah. people think this super strong, hypervigilant immune system. That's not what a healthy immune system is. A healthy immune system is an intelligent yes. immune system and knows when to react and when not to react. Yeah. It knows not to overreact. Yeah. An immune system that's unhealthy tends to either be super, super depressed, in which case you're probably going to die of the common cold or some other virus, or what we're seeing a lot of is an immune system that doesn't know the difference between friend or foe and it starts to identify foods as foreign invaders, and it mounts these immune system responses. And so what you have with some people is they're so hyperreactive, their immune systems are so hyperreactive to the foods that they're eating that they feel much, much better by eliminating almost everything except for the one food that probably has the lowest rate of, I would say, food intolerance, which also, I think, points to the fact that that's probably the food that we relied on the most for lots of periods of time because you could just eat meat and survive. I don't think it's ideal, yeah. but you could mm-hmm. just eat meat. It has everything that you need in it. You don't need much vitamin C when you're not you know, processing carbohydrates and all that, but it's not an ideal diet, but for someone like Michaela Peterson right. or mm-hmm. Sean Baker or all these other people, you know, let me tell you something. The immune system is a fingerprint. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very, very unique, and I think that's the reason. I would, put, I would say that that's the number one reason why oh, diets are, are work so differently for so many different people. Yep. You know, because I, I've had clients. I'll tell you what. When I first became a trainer, Max, I, you know, I was pro omnivore, right? And when someone would come to me and they'd say I'm a vegan, I'd be like, Oh, well, you can't get all the nutrients. You can't. And scientifically speaking, I could make a pretty good case against veganism. And then I had this one client who. He used to track everything, write everything down. He was super like, he would do everything I told him. And he always had kind of gut issues, didn't really feel good. He was a a doctor and did one of those doctors without borders, you know, trips or whatever. And the tribe that he was staying with was vegan and because of their belief system, he came back. He's like, I feel amazing. Hmm. Started eating vegan. He felt great. You know, I had to, I kind of had to swallow it a little bit and say, okay, well, everybody's, I guess, I mean, a little bit different. And I think that's, that may be why we get so much conflicting information yeah. with nutrition. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. s- speaking of conflicting information right now, what is this that's going out again with the coconut oil? Yeah, there was some Harvard <laughs> professor that said it was like poison, pure poison yeah. was the quote. It's back in the news again, huh? Oh, my God. Totally like hyperbolic, clickbaity. I mean, the, you know, you that's not even a scientific like, uh, <laughs> you know, phrase like that pure coconut poison. oil is poison because- because it's just not. I mean, you know, there's there are communities that, you know, they're 
coconut oil is a staple in their diet. You know, look at like anybody from Thailand or the Philippines. Um, so, yeah, it's not poison. It's just that it, th- this was, you know, unfortunately another example of like, you know, something that this German Harvard professor, which means less and less, by the way, these days, I feel like, uh, <laughs> you know, went viral on the Internet. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know what they say? The dose makes the poison. I don't think that coconut oil is uh, in any way poisonous, but I also don't think that it's like the miracle food that many health gurus on, on Instagram, oh, yeah. you know, make it out to be. Like people are putting coconut oil in their fruit smoothies and things like that. I don't use any coconut oil. I mean, sometimes I'll use MCT oil. I'm actually a fan of MCT oil, but in terms of coconut oil and what I use that for, I mean, like very seldom, I don't even cook with it, honestly, because there are other, you know, oils that I prefer to cook with. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, the concern about coconut oil really stems from the fact that it's predominantly, it contains mostly saturated fat. Um, but the latest meta-analysis that I, you know, that I've seen, a really robust study of studies um, published in BMJ Open, uh, I believe is the journal, found no clear association between saturated fat consumption and heart disease risk. And um, There were some studies that showed that people who ate more saturated fat were actually healthier in some cases. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a small study that adding saturated fat to the diet I found can improve health. There's another, I mean, it's all, you know, nutrition research, you kind of have to like mix and match, but, um, there was a cool crossover study that, uh, I looked at, actually I was looking at today where they gave, um, they put people on these like Mediterranean style diets and it was a crossover trial. So they had them eat these Mediterranean style diets and on, uh, the first iteration of the diet, they had them eat like very low red meat, low amounts of red meat. And because of the dietary pattern as a whole, they were consuming more extra virgin olive oil, more, uh, you know, plant material, things like that. They had an improvement in their cardiometabolic like risk, risk factors and, and risk markers. And then in the, in the crossover version of the, what they, what the, basically the diet that they adopted, they told them to add more meat, like double the recommended amount of meat. And what they found was that their numbers continued to improve. So it's really not about any one particular food. It's about the dietary pattern as a whole. Mm-mm. You know, Let's talk a little bit about the, the myths surrounding uh, saturated fat because for a long time, for most of my life and yours, yeah. we were told that it was the devil, avoided at all costs. Actually, fats in general were the devil. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. How did we develop that policy? Why did that even? Why was that even a thing? Why did that become government policy to tell us all to avoid fat? It stems from one guy. I mean, that's sort of how I understand it. Um, uh, a pathologist named Ansel Keys at the University of Minnesota, who basically at a time when nutrition science was just being born in this country, um, and we really kind of were the flag bearers for the rest of the world in terms of you know nutritional research. Um, there was an, uh, an epidemic of, of heart disease in this country, and Ansel Keys was uh, this pathologist who embarked on a number of epidemiological studies looking at large populations and presented a graph showing a perfect correlation between saturated fat consumption eventually. At first, it was just total fat consumption, but he narrowed it down to saturated fat consumption and um, deaths from heart disease. But the problem is that he showed this this perfect linear correlation. Among, the seven study, seven yeah. country studies? Isn't, isn't yeah. this the same one that he teased out the ones that- He like, took were, two countries out, I think, Yeah, right? two that countered his sure, argument, right? What, France? What, the-, the France and Italy French, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, that study was heralded because he went around the world drawing blood labs and things like that. And so he did like a fair amount of work on it. He, you know, stationed himself in Crete where he got to look at the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean dietary pattern. 
But the problem is, is that he omitted data that was available from other countries where there were there was no clear association between heart disease risk and um, saturated fat consumption. But nonetheless, he was apparently you know a very charismatic person. He landed on the cover of Time magazine, and again, this was at a, a time where there was immense pressure on these academics to come up with a solution to the nation's heart disease problem. Mm. So when there's that kind of pressure and, you know, people were really looking for answers and it was just a vacuum of nutritional information mm-hmm. at the time that it was a, a neatly enough packaged story that he could sell it to both doctors and the public. And that really became, I mean, it became... It became government gospel. policy. Yeah, it became government policy. Yeah. People don't know this actually, but he implanted that idea into the American Heart Association at the time, which was this like little known professional organization. And uh, then Procter and Gamble invested about a million dollars into it. And Procter and Gamble oh. they produce Crisco hmm. and an unsaturated vegetable, you know, oils and fats and things. Weird. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> weird. No conflict. No of incentive there. At all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that whole time, there were other uh, professors who, you know, vehemently opposed. Uh, Ansel Keys' ideas about fat. There was John Yudkin and this guy Pete Ahrens. And um, I detail this a lot in the book, but essentially that's what paved the way for the fact that growing up in my house, we always had those pale yellow tubs of margarine. There was always corn oil by the stove. My mom was always terrified of eating eggs and she never ate red meat or anything like that Mm -hmm. because, you know, we have this idea that saturated fat clogs our arteries. Now, we now know that that's not true. Okay, so what happens in the body is a lot different than what happens when you pour, you know, than when you when you pour grease down a cold drain. But still, that being said, you know, saturated fat does have a, a an interesting effect on the body. And in my book, which like and you know work, I focus on on brain health, you know, preventing Alzheimer's disease, cognitive decline, things like that. There's really no evidence that eating lots and lots of saturated fat benefits health. You know, on the other side of the coin, right? So. In terms of just like hedging your bets, and which I think is smart when it comes to your health, um, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like putting, as I mentioned, coconut oil on everything and butter on everything. Like people have different genes, they have different ways in which they respond to saturated fat. Again, it's about the co- the, the context in which that fat is being consumed. So if you look at your diet, you know, if you're consuming a lot of polyphenols and plant materials and things like that, you know, I'm I'm almost positive that the saturated fat is going to be better tolerated. But they've done studies, I believe, in, in, in pigs, but, you know, the mammalian digestive tract is pretty strongly conserved. And they find that, you know, pure saturated fat leads to a uh, translocation of this endotoxin stuff. Basically, this bacterial, these bacterial fragments that are really powerfully inflammatory from your gut lumen into your circulation. So it's basically like saturated fat consumption. It can increase inflammation. Can increase inflammation. Yeah. Interesting. certain people. It also... One of the things that it does, you know, we all know that it, it raises cholesterol, whether or not that's good or bad, that's debatable. Actually, we, pr- we probably don't even know the full the full picture, but um, it does tend to raise LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol. And, and one of the mechanisms by which it does that is it reduces the amount of LDL receptors on the surface of the liver. So this is a really important- Interesting. Yeah. So the liver basically serves hundreds of functions in the body. One of those functions is recycling lipoproteins. And lipids, right? And uh, it does that by popping these like LDL receptors up to the surface of the liver, liver, and then taking in the LDL particle before it gets, you know, they they're all sort of shipped out from the liver initially when they're 
uh, large and buoyant. These are like the large, dense. The big fluffy ones or whatever. Yeah, or not large, dense, large and buoyant, um, fluffy, you know, LDL mm-hmm. particles is like the sort of, you know, the cardiovascularly favorable uh, pattern of like the LDL particle. And before they get too small, they're supposed to be sucked back up by the liver. But saturated fat, what saturated fat does is it basically reduces the amount of LDL receptors on the liver, which I don't think we want, especially for people that are genetically perhaps uh, less effective at that at that recycling process. Very interesting. So what I've noticed, this is for me personally, what I've noticed is if I eat a diet that's high in saturated fat and a diet that's higher in carbohydrates, I personally notice more inflammation. Now I have a very, very obvious sign and that's gut issues, um, but I'll also notice stiffness in my joints. If my saturated fat intake's high, but my carbohydrate's very low and I'm eating more of a keto style diet, I notice my inflammation is quite low. And it may have to do with the anti-inflammatory effects of ketones themselves or, or something like that. So yeah. now let's talk about protein. Um, in our space, protein is the magic macronutrient. You can't have too much of it. Just eat as much protein as you possibly can because you're going to build more muscle and all that other stuff. What about protein's role in, in overall health or even in brain health? Are there studies that show that there's ideal amounts of protein or is it a huge range? Yeah, I mean, I, you know... I sort of like to walk that line between body composition. I learned a lot from you when you were on my podcast. Oh, appreciate it. Um, yeah, but no, protein's important. It's the most satiating of the macronutrients. I think as people get older, especially, you know, I like to kind of talk to people of all ages, um, but sarcopenia is a real thing. People do begin to lose muscle mass. As you guys are well aware, it becomes harder to gain and maintain muscle as you get older. And having stronger muscles, I mean, is directly related to better brain health and better brain function. I mean, for many reasons. It's a great way to maintain insulin sensitivity by having stronger muscles, right? It's also, I mean, one of the least or, you know, lesser appreciated roles of having more muscle in your body is a greater ability to dispose of glucose. You know, glucose is highly damaging in the body. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why we have such conserved homeostatic mechanisms to get your blood sugar down when, whenever we decide to spike it, right? With like sugar, sugary foods and carbs and things like that. Um, but, you know, we only have like, we have limited places in our body with which, you know, in which we're able to store sugar, right? We've got our liver, which can only, you know, store about 125 grams if you're a big person. And then our muscle tissue. And muscle, we have, you know, a much larger amount. But if you are, if you don't have a lot of muscle tissue, then your ability to store sugar is pretty pretty limited, I would Mm -hmm. think, you know, and that Mm -hmm. sugar, when you consume it, has nowhere to go, um, especially if you're chronically sedentary, but you're fat. And it's a bit of a a positive feedback loop because I just read another study that showed that sitting for long periods of time reduces blood flow to the brain. brain. Um, We also know that, uh, you know, BDNF is, uh, which is a a wonderful, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, chemical or whatever that's released in the brain. It helps, you know, improve the uh, the, the function of your your neurotransmitters and your neurons in your brain and it's very it's like it's like bathing your brain in in, in something miracle that's very grow. Yeah. Th- yes there you go miracle grow um, and movement does that and so there's this kind of positive feedback loop where older because I've seen this in my career as a personal trainer where someone gets older they hurt themselves so they can't move their mental degeneration accelerates dr- rapidly very very quickly I have personally seen this myself where I've train people in their 70s and 80s and I you know for 10 10 12 years and I'll see like maybe a barely subtle decline in mental cognitive function and then they'll get hurt and they'll be bedridden for 2 months and then I'll see them and it's like 
we accelerated it by like 10 years. It's hmm. like, boom, because they couldn't move. Yeah. And, and that's, and then there's that positive feedback loop. So it's like not have enough muscle, don't have a lot of strength, increase your immobility, maybe hurt yourself. That's not good for your body. So, and your brain. So, you know, indirectly protein just to help build muscle may help with that. Protein super important. And I, I also think that we have a biological imperative to not be wasteful and eat the whole animal. Uh, you know, certain amino acids found in certain parts of the animal help us better metabolize amino acids found in other parts of the animal. So mm. they've done really interesting studies um, in rats where they've fed rats high methionine diets. Methionine is an amino, an amino acid concentrated in muscle meat. And we're getting, you know, a pretty uh, high concentration of that if all we do is eat muscle meat, like the steaks and things like that that, we're, that you know, we, we tend to eat in the modern world. But glycine, which is an amino acid found in collagen, cartilage, and yeah. connective tissue, right? Yeah, actually, when they so when they fed those mice this high methionine enriched diet, it actually shortened their lifespans. But that shortening of their lifespans was abolished once they started supplementing the mice also with with glycine. Mm. So I think when it comes to eating lots and lots of protein, I think it's also really important to um, where all the proteins coming from, right? Yeah, yeah, to get like a, a broad array of, of eat your organ meats yeah, and all yeah. that other stuff, you know. Yeah, and also to occasionally maybe take breaks from protein consumption, you know, get that mTOR. You know, they yeah. have they have studies that show that you when you take it when you fast from protein or you go low protein, you actually increase what the what they say is increase your sensitivity to protein mm -hmm. and utilize it more efficiently for what we want it for, which is repair and rebuild. Now I noticed this as a somebody who's trying to build muscle. And I noticed this when I would fast or when I'd go, I used to have vegan days where I would just eat nothing but vegetables for one or two days. Then I'd go back to eating protein and I'd feel like this get this rebound effect hmm. when I'd work out and I'd feel like I'd build more muscle. And I brought this up to uh, our friend, Ben Pakulski, who's a pro, you know, was a pro IFB bo B bodybuilder, massive human being. And he totally loved it. And he's like, he agreed. And he's like, mm -hmm. oh no, I have my athletes yeah. do the same thing, which I'm like, oh shit, you're a bodybuilder. And you wow. said that. I never thought he would have, he would have said that at all. Dude, Matt, I want to talk to you a little bit about your podcast, Max. I know that you just started this. Like, what has been your strategy going forward with your podcast? Because I know it's a different it's a different platform entirely. Do you yeah. have like you know a goal with it? Is it different than you know you what like you're talking it? about in your book? Yeah. What kind of <laughs> guests have you had? All that kind of stuff. My strategy, my goal is to be a fraction as good at podcasting as you guys. Oh, God. Thank you for that hand job. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm almost finished. You do a fucking great job <laughs> on your podcast. Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah. You have I'm a not, great podcast. Yeah, thank awesome. you. No, thank you. I like people. People have really responded to it, but I, it's, uh, you know, like one thing that I'll definitely tell you that I do is I, I, I edit like a little bit, you know, to make sure that, because I, I come from a school of thought where I used to work in TV mm -hmm. and I, you know, everything I put out, like I'm doing, you know, in my, in the back of my head, I'm like, is this in the service of the audience? Yeah. You know? So I'm always trying to like, you know, cut down and make more concise and more clear and things like that. And so if there's like, if I ask a question that's not as clear as I wanted to, you know, I'll like cut out the, the, you know, whatever just is distracting and I'll like work on the intros and things like that. But I also think that there's like an amazing thing about just putting the raw stuff up and like being really present and just putting up, you know, a conversation as it happens, which like I feel like you guys do. Well, mm -hmm. there's there's definitely we're seeing this happen right now in our space, and it's really fun and interesting to watch. Is there's a place for both of those, right? Yeah. There's definitely you know a, a place for the Joe Rogan, the mind pump style of podcast where we could potentially carry on for three hours and bullshit about topics that have nothing to do with brain health. <laughs> we, you know, we're talking about your sex life for the first ten minutes, <laughs> yeah. which you know somebody who's tuning in just to hear Max speak about brain health. Give two shits about, hmm. but 
somebody who really wants to know more about you may really appreciate that. So I think there's places for both yeah. for both types of podcasts. Long, long form seems to be uh, growing quite a bit. And I think part of it is uh, the, the, the bandwidth was limited because you came from, you went, you do a lot of old media and new media, right? Yeah. The TV, mm-hmm. radio, you were in that space. Now you're in the new media space where we're not limited with bandwidth. So we don't have to make our point in 10 minutes. We right. could just go yeah. for four, you know, for three hours if we wanted to. And uh, it was a bit of a gamble, but people seem to appreciate it. Are you having fun having these long conversations with people? I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just another platform for me. I used to have a TV show and then I was, you know, I'm, and I still am working on a documentary and I reached out and interviewed a lot of researchers for my book, but you know, many of those interviews were untaped. They were just kind of like me taking notes. So the podcast is an amazing way for me to be able to um, just, you know, like connect with people that I find interesting and have conversations with them, tape them, learn more about topics that I'm interested in. I think what's different about uh, my show, The Genius Life, compared to my book, is that my book is really a deep dive into nutrition, and 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 The Genius Life really is about. You know, it's a. It, my goal is for it to be broader than just nutrition. So I've been talking to a lot of people. Anybody who who can offer a crumb on the sort of scavenger hunt trail to truth for me, like I want to have them on. But one of my favorite episodes that I did recently was with uh, a singer songwriter named Matt Nathanson, who's uh, very well known um, in the singer songwriter space. He's you know had a number of hit songs, and you know he was on the road recently with uh, with the band OAR, who you know a lot of people know. And Matt's this great guy who. Um, I was actually a fan of his music long before I became friends with him and I got to meet him and we became friends maybe 10 years ago. And aside from being an insanely talented artist and singer songwriter, um, he's just a brilliant guy. And I was like, you know, this, this guy, you know, has tons of wisdom to drop and I want to like be able to have a platform where I can just have conversations with people that I find interesting, you know? So, uh, that was a great episode. Um, I had you on cell, obviously that was, that was great. Um, I had... Dr. Sachin Panda, who's one of the leading researchers oh, yeah. in circadian biology, that was yeah, that was an amazing. Was there anything episode. in there that kind of blew you away when he, from what he was talking about? Man, I just think it's uh, you know, it's just so cool how complicated we are. It's intimidating, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's like it's just amazing that like evolution really has thought of everything, you know. And we're just trying to figure it out. We're like just scratching the surface. You well, know? because you have that knowledge, it's, it's also you also deliver a message, and I really appreciate how you deliver that. You don't speak in these certainties that a lot of people. You're not dogmatic. Yeah, you're not dogmatic about anything that you talk about, and I feel like that's something that we all share. That's in common. I think why we we've had a lot of success is because of that. Is like you know we kind of present the information that we've learned in our journey, and it's not this is the way. We're I think there's a lot of people out there that tend to do that. They they learn a little bit of knowledge, they get a little bit of information, and then they they form a camp, and then it's all. Well, about they get them. a lot of attention because right. you get a lot of attention when you're dogmatic. It's, yeah. it's much more difficult to say it depends. Yeah, oh, yeah. We have this unfortunate cognitive bias, us humans. Like the less we know, the more we feel like we know, <laughs> and the more we know, the less we feel like we no, know. It's so yeah. true, yeah. and yeah. it's really unfortunate, but it's true. You know, yeah. like most most experts that I would you know, interview in the space. I mean, look, I've been called an expert. I wrote a, a New York Times bestselling book. Like I'm, you know, I'm on, I get brought onto these shows to talk about, you know, nutrition topics, health topics, things like that. The word, the word expert to me, like, I, I don't even like it, honestly, because like there's, there's so many more unknowns and I'm so excited to learn more and ask questions. And, you know, I think a true, uh, I think a real expert really kind of just knows the question, the right questions to ask. When, 
when you, it's all about. When you look at this past year, what are some of the things that you think you've learned recently? What are some of the things you've picked up? I know you mentioned, I know you had Sal on, and I'm sure he dropped some great fitness knowledge for you and stuff like that. But when you think about all the guests and your learnings, I know your guy's constantly growing and reading and learning. What are some of the, the bits of knowledge that you've picked up over the last year? Man, I mean, I think, um, you know, learning more about circadian biology, it's definitely become um, really interesting. You know, the 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 natural inclinations of our body during the the specific times of day, you know, in the morning, the sort of fat burning window that we have at night, you know, when the kitchen closes, so to speak, in the body. Um, and, uh, you know, just being, just sort of honoring. The, talk talk about that. Go a little bit deeper into that, yeah. and like how you've started to uh, apply some things in your life. Are you, do you subscribe? Do you use the blue blockers at night when you're on your computer and yeah. do things like that? Like what are some of the things that you're doing yeah. personally because of this newfound knowledge? Well, I'm a big fan of blue, blue blockers. Um, I wear those, uh, you know, especially if I'm doing work or watching TV into the wee hours. I always have those on. Blue light really does send a signal to our brains that it's daytime. It's been one of the biggest yeah. game changers that I've done. We yeah. recently got a sponsor. Seems silly, but it uh, works. Felix Gray, and what I love, so I've always tried the blue blocker thing, and in the past when I would do blue blockers, the one thing I would hate about them is they're so orange that it distorts the television and the computer. Yeah. Well, these ones that Felix Gray has they're like clear, but they still block out the blue light. So I can sit there and enjoy a movie or be on my computer and not feel like my colors are distorted. And it's, I notice a huge difference when, if I just notice as soon as the sun goes down and I'm in the house, lights are all on still, I'm on computer, we're watching TV, I just throw them on. And man, my sleep has been night and day different since then. Yeah. Conversely, I would often realize, and only now can I sort of identify why I would feel this way, but I, um, you know, when I'm in New York, I spend a lot of time with my brothers and what, you know, they have more traditional jobs. So one of the things that they love to do is binge watch like Netflix shows when, uh, when they get home from work. So I would do this too with them. And, you know, for a while it was like Game of Thrones, things like that. And I would always notice that, you know, on the, on the mornings after the nights where we would just watch like show after show after show up until the point, you know, that we would go to bed, I would always feel hungover the next morning. Mm -hmm. You know, I would have like a light hangover. And I couldn't describe why that would be because I'm not a, you know, I, I don't really drink. I'm not a big drinker. You know, I certainly wasn't drinking on the you know nights before I'd have these hangovers. But at a certain point, I realized that it was the light, yeah. that the light was affecting my ability to have rejuvenating sleep. And I started wearing these blue light blocking glasses, amber, amber colored glasses. And it was like a sort of night and day, no pun intended, like difference. I would feel much better the next day, rested, rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. And... um and yeah, so I, and I also don't, I don't eat for two to three hours before I go to sleep. I feel great the next day when I don't do that. It also helps my body. I feel, uh, regulate, you know, single signals related to hunger. Yeah. When I do sort of break that circadian inclination and eat late at night, you know, I'm counterintuitively more hungry the next morning. Mm. You would think that wouldn't be the case because I had maybe a, an extra hit of calories, but I think it just throws everything out of whack. And then in the mornings I don't eat, uh, for an hour or two or three, after I wake up, you know, in the mornings we have that amazing cortisol spike, which is the body's like top fat burning hormone. It's the body's chief catabolic uh, hormone. And that's elevated um, when we wake up. So I try not to mess with that. And I also definitely don't eat if I have to wake up be earlier than my natural uh, time in which I wake up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. What about, um, so our buddy Ben, he does, he's big because he flies back and forth like yourself too a lot. So I'm curious if you've tried this. He's big on, as soon as he gets in, he says this is, if he's flying across 
country or even across the world he'll as soon as he gets in town he looks up an infrared sauna mm-hmm. and does an infrared sauna and supposedly that's supposed to reset your circadian rhythm do you know anything about that or have you ever tried that no i don't but i have a theory that using cold water like showers you know because it's a stressor on the body doing that first thing in the morning could sort of like jump start uh you know that sort of early morning cortisol milieu, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, that's just like a, a, a theory. One thing I do know and that I learned when I interviewed Sachin Panda, which is is super cool uh, to know, if you have to wake up, you know, due to an alarm clock, so before you would naturally arise, your body's melatonin probably has not yet come down and your cortisol certainly hasn't spiked if you're waking up due to an alarm clock, which I did today to fly in for this. <laughs> so... You know, melatonin, when melatonin is elevated, we have less insulin sensitivity because melatonin is the body's sleep hormone. So once melatonin starts getting going in the, in the you know, evening hours, that's when the kitchen is closing. So that's when like metabolism is slowing down and things like that. The problem is you can also have elevated, elevated melatonin in the morning if you wake up really early due to your alarm clock because you got to get to work. So eating in that window, especially sugar and carbohydrates and things like that is like the worst idea. Wow. Oh, now, what about and what about like coffee too? What if you were to have? Because it wouldn't oh, be yeah. ideal to have coffee in that situation either. Would well, it? coffee would get the cortisol up, though, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, coffee does get the cortisol up. So, so then coffee, it would be advantageous. Yeah, to and, do that. and coffee also helps to reset the body circadian rhythm. Okay. Yeah, coffee sort of has a similar effect on the brain as bright light. So, hmm. oh, yeah, interesting. So co- we can use coffee. Gets that adenosine to circulate or whatever. Yeah, adenosine. Adenosine. I said yeah. it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, can you talk about this documentary that you're working on? You, yeah. you said that earlier, and it got my interest perked up a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, the first project that I ever decided to do in the in the health space is a documentary called Breadhead, and uh, we're still working on it. But in um, the very beginning of 2015, I did a Kickstarter campaign for it. And people can go to breadheadmovie.com if they want to see the Kickstarter teaser. But essentially, uh, it's the first ever dementia prevention documentary. And it, it really follows uh, me going to talk, talk to the top researchers in the world that are proving that our cognitive fate is something that falls within our control. Um, and uh, I've, you know, have filmed my mom over the years and it's, uh, it's, a, it's sort of a more, there's a lot of science in it, but it's also a very personal look into what it's like to have a, a, a loved one, you know, a, a mother specifically with dementia. And my goal is to really um, awaken people to the notion that dementia is a potentially preventable condition for for most people. I don't I don't mm. think a lot of people realize just how much of an we're already seeing an explosion of Alzheimer's and dementia, but how much worse it's going to get with yeah. all the diabetes that people are getting. Yeah. don't they call it uh, type three diabetes? Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you have type two diabetes, your risk for developing Alzheimer's increases two to four fold. So mm. I mean, it's like it's just crazy. And right now, five million people in the U.S. have Alzheimer's. That number is set to triple by the year twenty fifty. So it is going to explode. And Alzheimer's is just one form of dementia. So, I mean, like my mom doesn't have Alzheimer's. She has another form of dementia. There's a lot of people out there that have loved ones with other forms of dementia. And there's virtually no research on, you know, like, I mean, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's disease dementia. There's, you know, frontotemporal dementia. There's like all, there's all these little different variants. And all the money is going into Alzheimer's disease because it's the most common form of dementia. And so, you know, I can tell you that we have a lot of information <coughs> on uh, diet and lifestyle and how it pertains to these common, these more common versions of it, you know, Alzheimer's disease, maybe mild cognitive, cognitive impairment, things like that. But for people that, you know, have these, uh, more niche forms, it's like literally grasping at straws. And so, I mean, yeah, I think, I think we're in trouble and that's why my, my passion really has become to get this message of prevention out to young people and also to try to like 
figure out how to make it more uh, enticing for them to start thinking about their brain health and, mm. and things like that. Because I know, and I was guilty of this before I was directly affected because of my mom, most young people think of, of Alzheimer's disease as like an old person's condition. Right. right. You know, like something it's that's not like affect me. way down the road, not yeah. going to affect me. Maybe it's an inevitable part of aging. Maybe if my grandmother have it, it had it, it's sort of like baking, baked in the cards for me. But these are all misconceptions that I'm trying to uh, dispel. When you when you look, you know, with your knowledge that you have, especially in this this arena, and you look at the younger ger- generation coming up, you know, with the video games, the processed foods, the high sugar diets, the lack of movement, what are the things that concern you? Like, what do you think, or what are we going to be dealing with in the next 15, 20 years? I mean, definitely uh, circadian disruption. You know, that's that's something that today we have, you know, all different types of entertainment, digital devices, things like that to keep us entertained 24 hours a day. Um, it's taking, it's, you know, making rest really difficult and it's affecting sleep. We're more stressed out than we've ever been. You know, I think that we have fewer and fewer healthy ways of dealing with that stress. Um, exercise, you know, leisure time, recreational activity is at a, a, at an all time or, uh, you know, exercise activity is at an all time low. Um, diets, you know, our diets have become so mangled. Uh, our food supply has become so industrialized. Most of the calories that we now consume come from ultra processed foods. I don't really see it getting any better. I mean, I think, um, people are, are becoming more informed, which is a great thing. But at the end of the day, I think people need to take more accountability for their own health. And, you know, I don't know. It is the, the, I mean, the, 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 big, these, the biggest producers of foods are found in, in market economies, and those markets will follow the consumer. So I think if people are more educated and start to make decisions that are different, then you'll start to see the market follow. But right now, what people are going for is the convenience and then the, you know, the for lack of a better term, addictive properties of processed foods because they're engineered to be so hyper palatable that, you know, and they're easy. So yeah. it's like if you have kids and you don't got time and, mm-hmm. well, they don't eat this, but they'll eat that. So let me buy the, and, they'll, and they'll eat whatever I give, you know. And have Netflix babysit them. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that tends to be a problem. We have friends in, our, in, in this fitness and health space that get really angry when people say things like processed sugar is bad. And they say, no, no, the evidence shows that if the calories are low and the macros match or whatever, yeah. that sugar is not bad. What do you, what do you, think well, about it's, that? but the thing is, it's not just, it's not just about marketing and the onus isn't just on the food manufacturers. I mean, I think we, we live lifestyles today that are so, uh, disharmonious with the way, the kind of environment in which our brains evolved that they're literally leaving them, whether or not we're conscious of it screaming out for help. I mean, you know, people that that sit behind desks for nine hours a day, literally like zero dopamine over the course of your workday, right? They get home from work. All they want to do is emotionally, you know, get a, a tiny hit of dopamine from the kind of food that brings them the most pleasure, sure. right? It's like a way yeah. of, of relieving stress. Mm-hmm. I mean, my I was having this conversation with one of my brothers the other day who does sales for like this this tech company. And his job is so difficult. I mean, it's like suited for his personality, but it's literally like no dopamine. Whereas like us, you know, we live, we have like these entrepreneurial lifestyles that thankfully we've had, you know, the mental and emotional fortitude to go and pursue these kinds of jobs, you know, that we have. But my brother, you know, he works nine hours a day. He's at this desk, zero dopamine, zero pleasure, zero joy, you know, having conversations with people about, you know, we were joking about like meeting, 
like the the kinds of phrases that people use in meetings all the time. Like, you know, like let's circle back on that. Or like <laughs> oh, like these, these phrases that like everybody has in a meeting, they just have them sort of on like, spe- like they press buttons and it's like, let's circle back on that. I'm going to loop this person in or Get I'm going to, you know, TPS reports out. Huh? TPS <laughs> yeah. reports. Yeah. Or like, I'm going to fight. And so that's basically for most people's lives, what they have to sort of wrap their brains around so that by the time they get home or, you know, by the time the weekend comes around, it's like they go overboard with escapism. You know, it's either escapism Mm. through food or escapism with drugs or going to like a concert and blasting out your eardrums, you know, to feel a sense of connection with the people that you're standing with and listening to music, you know, together with. So it's just like, we've become really out of balance. And, you know, I just think it's, uh, so when you help somebody like that, yeah. like what are like, and I can't imagine what your DMs look like. I know what mine look like, and I don't post as, <laughs> as good of information as you post on yours. So I imagine you get flooded with questions, and I know how hard it is for us to answer questions because there's so many variabilities. Do you have like big rocks that you tell someone in that exact situation, like where to start? Man, you know, I I've been pretty lucky in in the sense that my parents always kind of pushed me to follow my bliss. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's, I would start there. I would start, you know, kind of listening and, and kind of hearing the message behind the message. And I don't know, I think, I think many people don't live the lives that they've imagined for themselves out of fear, maybe. And, you know, I feel like once you're able to, I don't know, shed the fear and do a level of introspection, I guess, and to kind of put yourself out there and to, and to discover, to try to discover what it is that you're, that you're into, you know, it might take a little bit of experimentation. Malcolm Gladwell calls this concerted cultivation, but really kind of like opening the door to enough experiences where you can allow yourself to feel what it is to come alive. Um, you know, I think once you have that, you should go in that direction. I mean, we're only here for like a blip on the radar. So when you talk to your brother, is that kind of like what you're nudging him to do is like, Hey bro, like I have, yeah, 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 I have. I mean, I think, you know, especially for, you know, one of, one of my brothers had, he has, uh, like ADD, which I think we all have ADD. Um, what'd you say? (laughs) Squirrel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a there's a disproportionate amount of entrepreneurs that with ADD, and I think it's because you know an ADD brain is essentially a brain that's hardwired for novelty seeking, and would have been the ultimate hunter gatherer. I mean, you would have been like a tribe leader, you know, if you had ADD as a hunter gatherer. You know, it's it's essentially a brain that rewards you for seeking out new foraging opportunities and bridging new connections. You know, and maybe doing a little more exploring than the average person. And today, that person I feel like is going to struggle under the con- the constraints of um, you know, a desk job. Right. So yeah. I read an interesting article on that where this, this author was, he was speculating as to one of the reasons why their ADD is so much higher in a country like America. And one of the speculations he had was, well, you know, this is a country made up of totally of immigrants, a bunch of people who left countries in safety and came to a totally unknown place. It's like, I bet a lot of them had ADD. And I bet a lot of us are from these people with with ADD. Totally, totally. I mean, I think we've pathologized ADD, (laughs) but I don't think it's a a problem. I think it's a context-specific problem. It's a problem if you're trying to fit yourself in a nine-to-five job where you've got to sit in a cubicle all day, you know, answering phones and doing things like that. But for somebody who's like, like me, like getting, you know, every day is different. I mean, it's amazing. 
Right. It's mm-hmm. also amazing what a difference. I have two kids, and so I look at, uh, you know, I look at how they behave and their friends behave, and then I do a lot, read a lot about children behavior, and it's funny how much you can control or seem to get rid of ADD symptoms or ADHD symptoms by having kids go outside and play and exercise and then feeding them a good diet. It's incredible oh yeah. the difference you see in them. 100%. I mean, there's really, there's some small studies using omega-3s and kids with ADD seems to improve executive function. ADD is considered an, a problem related to executive function, which is sensory gating, attentional control, tuning out distractions, delaying gratification, all like prefrontal cortex stuff. And, you know, these, they're mediated, it seems, according to the literature that I've reviewed by, um, in a significant, in a significant way by our diets and our lifestyles, you know, exercise, I think so important. Um, eating a healthy diet, really, really important. I never had good grades, uh, growing up in elementary school. My grades always suffered. I was always, you know, a favorite of the teachers because I always asked good questions, but when it came time to actually doing my work and preparing for the test and whatever, I just like always came up short. And so my grades were always extremely uh, mediocre. And that's one of the reasons why, despite always really being fascinated by the human body and health and and nutrition, I didn't go into medicine because I just didn't think that I'd be able to keep up in in Mm -hmm. medical school. And I also grew up, you know, consuming things like corn oil, you know, not eating any fish ever, eating only lean protein and not really eating too many eggs because my mom told me that eggs could, you know, they would clog my little arteries, you know? And so, uh, I'll never be able to, you know, prove with, you know, any, any kind of certainty that my academic problems were, were caused by my diet growing up, but certainly they were related. And ever since I changed my diet and started eating more omega-3s, fewer omega-6s, uh, more vegetables, things like that, I mean, my, my brain, I feel like, has turned on. You can, know? You, can you mm. speak to the, the benefits and maybe the... Um misconceptions that people have with taking an omega-3 because there's a lot of information out there in regards to taking omega-3 supplements you've got some doctors that just tell every patient just take it you should take it everybody needs it we don't get enough of it yeah and then i've read literature that you know if you're over consuming six and nine six and nines will out compete the threes anyway so you may as well be flushing the fucking pills down the toilet anyways then i've even heard some people say that they're worthless completely i think i just saw an article floating around facebook just recently just that said oh new study comes out says that omega taking omega threes is a waste of time yeah where do you sit in all this i'm a big fan of omega threes and i've definitely seen many many randomized control trials that have used uh, omega threes to positive uh result I think, you know, not everybody is going to need an omega-3 supplement. If you already have an optimized uh, omega-3 index, they look at the um, ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s in the plasma membrane. Um, If you're eating a diet that is biologically appropriate, has a a comparable amount of omega-3s to omega-6s, taking an omega-3 supplement is not going to help you. If you already have, you know, a condition, an inflammatory condition, I don't think that omega-3s are going to be enough to fix uh, that condition. But if you're, um, you know, eating a standard American diet, I think most people are going to see a dramatic improvement, um, in many things once they write the ratio of omega threes to omega sixes that we are meant to consume. So that kind of confirms what I think I teach or I say, is I think that was the best information that I ever came across and read, which is, you know, if you're lacking in it. And so this is kind of how I supplement, I, I pay attention to my diet. If, you know, I'm pretty consistent with eating fish, and so when I'm not consistent with it, I tend to supplement with my omega-3. Yeah. I also pay attention to how much red meat and beef I'm consuming. And if that's really high, I'm trying to 
bring that back. And then I try to cycle in like white meats and fishes and things like that into my diet. So is it true that if I have extremely high, you know, let's say that's all I eat is red meat, like a carnivore type of diet, and then taking an omega-3, am I take, am I consuming too many of the six and nines that the three won't even matter? It'll out-compete it because that's what I've heard. Is that true? Do you know? I, I mean, no. I, th- I would speculate that that would help if all you're doing is eating red meat. I mean, I don't eat red meat if it's not grass-fed. I just, I think it's, you know, it's not worth the additional iron that you're getting. You know, we, we guys, we can accumulate iron. I just found out that I have this polymorphism that, that, that makes me absorb more iron. Um, and so I've become conscious of that. You know, mm. you don't want to overdo it on the on the iron. No, it can, can accelerate toxic. aging and get toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't, you know, we don't have our, our periods like we don't period. So <laughs> yeah. it's like we don't lose iron, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously concentrated in red meat. You can also get a significant amount of iron from just from using a cast mm. iron pan. I started using a cast iron pan because I wanted to, you know, adopt a healthier cooking We just switched setup. to that. Yeah. Yeah. Katrina came in the other day and we've got, and they're fucking heavy, heavy as shit. It's cast iron, bro. Yeah, dude, heavy. Oh, cast yeah. iron's the best. And you don't even, uh, like, you don't, the way you clean it's different. Like, you we don't, yeah, it. yeah, we don't use dish soap or anything. You use some you, of the patina on Yeah, there. you just yeah. scrub it with the uh, whatchamacallit or whatever and you just leave it. You just leave some. Yeah. How'd you find out that you had that polymorphism? Was there a test, like a blood work that you did? Or? I had kind of high levels of uh, transferrin saturation, so like iron saturation. My iron was within nor- a normal range, but. Um, and I'm not, you know, I literally just found this out, so I haven't done a, like too deep a dive. But one one interesting thing that I discovered in the couple of hours that I spent uh, researching is that you actually can, like the only known compound to uh, significantly block iron absorption when taken concurrently with food is calcium. Mm. So if you have one of these polymorphisms, because the risk is that you can develop something called um, hereditary... Hemochromato- hemochromatosis, which basically is, uh, you know, an excessive accumulation of iron. And people that have that actually have to, I think, once a week or once a month, give blood to get rid of that, mm. that excessive iron. Well, iron oxidizes, obviously. It, yeah, it of rusts. Course, of and that's what happens to your body yeah, with yeah. too much of it. It's crazy. Yeah. It ages that. faster. Yeah, it it literally that. oxidizes yeah. faster. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, I've become a little bit more conscious of that. And so when it comes to red meat, I really look at it as an amazing way to get in a, a broad array of nutrients. But if it's if it's not grass fed, then I don't think it's uh, it's worth it because a, a grass fed piece of meat has a, an omega three to omega six ratio that mirrors that of a healthy human brain. Mm. Whereas when you get grain fed meat, it's much higher skewed in favor of omega sixes. Um, you get less CLA, you get vitamin K2. So it's just not as nutrient dense. Are you are you familiar with how different it is? So like, you know, we're sponsored by ButcherBox and one of the things I love about them is they're grass-fed, grass-finished. Is there a major difference between grass-fed, grass-finished and then just grass-fed uh, that you're aware of when it comes to like the nutrient balance? You stuff? definitely want grass-fed, grass-finished because if it's grain-finished, that really is what moves the needle on the healthiness of the meat because they essentially fatten it up with grain yeah. and that dictates the healthiness of the fat that's going to be in the meat. Oh, okay. So, um, so yeah. it is important that because I, I think that's fed. one of the hustles that you see in the grocery stores yeah. now mm-hmm. is, you know, they're advertising it as grass fed, but then the final week or two, they're mm-hmm. still pumping it full of grain yeah. to yeah. fatten it up. Yeah. So it still tastes amazing, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I saw beef jerky the other day and it was like it said 100 percent grass fed beef. And then in, in smaller font said used 100 percent grass fed beef, grass fed beef used. Which means that Used. they could use grass-fed beef, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all grass-fed. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's just like these mar- wow, yeah. These, so these crazy they can get away with, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we use we use grass-fed beef. 
Yeah. For <laughs> like 10% of our, you know. The grass-fed beef that we use oh. is 100% grass. Yes. What a exactly. hustle. Oh, wow. <laughs> all, we're always getting hustled. That's oh. such bullshit. Oh, like. what, are the, what are the top, what would you say are the top I things know. people should have, generally should avoid in their diets? Like what are the big, you know, bad, evil things in, in most people's diets that they should probably avoid? Man. I I mean you know we've t- I think we've talked about like the grain and seed oils those are pretty bad for mm-hmm. you they like the, are the, the hydrogenated vegetable oils or well they're not even hydrogenated but canola oil corn oil grapeseed oil they all have trace levels of trans fats mm-hmm. um, five up to five percent trans fats found in you know organic non-GMO canola oil that you buy at Whole Foods is going to have trans fats due to the deodorization process well and then that's what they actually use when they cook in their little yeah. Oh fuck! Yeah. Oh, that's why I don't need. I don't need. Oh, wow. It's that's toxic. Coconut oil is not toxic. That's stuff because there's no safe level of trans fat consumption. What a bummer! That's Whole yeah. Foods. Yeah. yeah, we trust yeah. you, Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah. we can't anymore. Yeah. I mean, you can't put all your trust in corporation. Like no. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Did you? I mean, you guys know that? That's, 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 yeah. the, that's the oil they use. The I know. yeah. So they yeah. I don't. You know buy why? The food that's already pre-made. It's cheaper. Yeah. It's cheap because it's subsidized. Right. It's, it's so a, cheap. It's a subsidized oil, just like all the things that we like. Cor- like, why do they use God corn damn, syrup? Shame on, on you, Whole Foods. I know it's not. What, yeah, it's the same reason why cor- corn oil. It's not healthy. Or excuse me, corn yeah. syrup is used instead of uh, uh, what, is, what is it called? Sugar. Yeah. Subsidized. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I would take food, my food sautéed in butter, coconut oil, any day over canola oil. It's um, it's really unhealthy, and you know, people people tend to think that that canola oil is healthy because it contains omega-3s, but omega-3s are actually even more vulnerable to the oxidation process than omega-6s. And so, you know, these oils, they undergo uh, extraction using harsh chemical solvents, heat, machinery. Then they go through these other industrial steps. One of them is deodorization, makes them tasteless. I mean, take an oil like uh, extra virgin olive oil. It's got a very distinct flavor, right? These, conversely, like, corn oil, canola oil, uh, soybean oil, they're engineered to have no flavor. And manufacturers love that because it allows them to use them in anything from salad dressings to mayonnaises, which I've heard you guys talk about, mm. to uh, um, granola bars. They use it to, you know, as a varnish to coat roasted nuts and, and dried fruits and things like that. So it's like, you know, they're they're pretty unhealthy. And, uh, and so I would say that the, that is definitely one of the things that I've like, I don't, you know, if I'm traveling, I'm on the road, I'm getting some canola oil. I, you know, I know it, but, um, when I'm home and I'm cooking and, you know, it's, you're never going to find anything made with canola oil in my house. Mm. Yeah. What about sugar? Sugar's bad. Um, you know, it's funny when I talk that's about a, that's a sound bite we're going to use right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's, <laughs> that's just, the one. Just just sugar's stir, bad. Yeah, just okay. stir some shit right yeah. there. Well, but the thing is, okay, so can we talk about like on, on Instagram? I feel like there's this thing. There's the whole like calories in, calories out. Yes. And so I know many people in the fitness community are like, sugar isn't bad. Yeah. If you're eating more calories and you're burning, that's bad. Yeah. I am, bro. It's like the it's like the calories in in calories out model. But I'm I'm you know. Having chronically elevated levels of insulin in your body, which occur as a result of chronic sugar consumption, is no bueno. It's not good for anybody, whether or not you're trying to gain muscle or lean out or whatever. So I eat a low sugar diet. I eat a very low grain diet. And the only times that I'll really eat sugar or grain is in the post-workout window when I know that that sugar, those carbs, that glucose is going to serve me by refilling my muscles with glycogen. Mm. You know, Not to mention 90% 
of the population walk around 90% of the time in a fucking surplus. So exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when you look at it, it, yeah, so we're doing both because if we were all we're in a de- if we were in a deficit and if everybody was equally in a deficit and we were having a little bit of sugar here and there we'd all be fucking skinny. Exactly. But we're not, we're not, we do that's not the case. No, it's like the, it's like these Instagram fitness gurus. They're like, pizza doesn't make you fat. Eating more calories than you're burning makes you fat. I'm like, well, obviously, yeah. But are you telling people, you know, in a, in a nation where 50% of us at least are either pre-diabetic or diabetic and, you know, uh, way more are hyperinsulinemic, yep. that pizza is okay? And yeah. plus, plus yeah. We, we all we look at is is obesity. And yes, obesity is a risk factor for all these, you know, chronic illnesses. However, a sizable minority of people who have things like diabetes and, and dementia-related stuff and, and chronic disease are normal weight. There's, some, right. there's, a, there's a decent, I mean, there's millions of Americans who have diabetes who were never overweight. There's right. millions of, of Americans who get a heart attack who, did, who weren't overweight. Yeah. So, the, you know, the whole focus on being yeah. overweight. You like, can't base it on your physique. Yeah, no, there's, it's not the only thing. In fact, sometimes I think it's probably a gift for some people to become overweight because at least mm-hmm. they have an outward sign. Yeah, at least you know? yeah. yeah. You know? Like, oh, maybe I should clean up my diet. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Sadly, that's the incentive for most people, right? Yeah, that's a Like not going to the doctor and seeing that you've got, you know, an A1C of 5.8 you know, and yeah. you're like almost, you know, it's just, uh, it's crazy. So, so I want to, I want to take you, I'm going to take a left with you right now because we could talk nutrition all day long with you. I love it. But I like talking about your sex life and <laughs> things that are, that are off like that. So, I mean, you're on TV You've just you got a New York Times bestseller. You got a podcast going. You're traveling all over the world. You got beautiful women around you all the time. How happy are you right now? First of all, I, <laughs> <laughs> all I, those things are we fucking just true, bro. You an awesome I picture, could, right yeah, there. Yeah. Most of the beautiful. I don't have beautiful women around me all the time. I, just every time I, we see. I, you. Every time I yeah. see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, every time. I do have a number of female friends who are very, who are brilliant, who are kind, yes. who are attractive. Most of them have boyfriends and or husbands. Oh, okay. Um, but no, I'm. You know, we're teasing you. I no, I. Lo- I mean, I'm very. I, I would say, I'm mostly happy. I'm uh, still very. You know, like, I'm very happy that I've been able to channel what's going on in my in my home life with my mom into something positive mm-hmm. and that makes me feel like i'm you know i've got a career that's going well like that makes that makes me feel really good but i'm upset by the fact that my mom is very sick and that is you know horrible to have to to have to contend with i mean i'm i'm with her like i was just yesterday i spent a lot of time with her she has like this stomach pain that's like non specific and her ability to communicate is like extremely limited. She's becoming, you know, more catatonic by the day. And, you know, she's still, my mom has pigment in her hair. She's blonde. Like it's just, it's horrendous to see what she's, Mm. what she's having to go through. And I'm the point person in my family. I'm the person in the family, obviously that has to, not has to, but that's, everybody looks to, that's equipped to, to take her to these doctor appointments. And but at the same time, like, I also want to live my own life. Like I'm, you know, I'm super happy to be out here. That has to be out with you guys. fucking so hard. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, going to, going to Burning Man for the first time this week. I'm going to be out of town for a week. Ultimately, I want to be back in LA. Like most of my friends, girls and guys, like, you know, my dating life is in Los Angeles. It's not in New York. In New York, I don't date ever because I'm just so wrapped up in my family. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I live mm-hmm. with my brother in this like tiny little apartment. It's, uh, it's really difficult 
I would be in LA. I would, you know, have a normal life. I would have a car. I would, you know, like, I don't have any of that stuff. I'm like back and forth. I can't, you know, so that to me is stressful and that's not ideal. So one of the major reasons why my dating life sucks. Um, do you struggle with that decision sometimes of like doing that where I'm, I'm sure you're constantly being reached out to, like you said, cause you're the point man in yeah. the situation where you're I like, I mean, well, when people reach out to me, it makes me feel so good that it like, it makes it all worth it. Right. Like, I mean, that's the, the fact that I've kind of like sacrificed in many ways my life for the family, but I also don't want to, you know, I also am cognizant of the fact that I could easily 10 years from now, look back at my life and say that I regret not living more of it for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to sort of strike that balance and, you know, spend more time doing, doing what it is I love. But the, the sole reason why I spend time in New York is because of my family. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in New York if it wasn't for that. It mm-hmm. wasn't for that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You're, such a, you're such a good person, man. Very, very likable and a very, very good person. And I think your family's blessed to mm-hmm. have you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I do want to ask you about Burning Man. You excited? <laughs> Dude, I'm so excited. I've never been. Really? Yeah. yeah. Neither have we. Oh, man. We need to get People it. keep we trying gotta, to get we... us to go and we're well, like, are ah. you Are you going to remain sober while you're out there? Are you going to do, what's going on? Because everybody out there apparently, I've never been out there. <laughs> yeah. But I know you don't, you don't smoke just weed. Just give us a wink. You don't, don't drink. You don't do anything. <laughs> you're just going to go out and watch everybody get weird? I'll tell you what, I, I do have uh, lots of electrolytes. I brought lots, lots of like, <laughs> electrolytes with me. That is important, sir. <laughs> you nerd. Bro, could it be? Hey, <laughs> you nerd. It's my boy right here. It's my boy right here. Yeah, all I'm thinking about is like, I got I got literally like a fucking vial of, of real salt in my backpack. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to be pounding that shit, putting it in my in my camel back. Um, no, I, uh, I'm super excited. First of all, there needs to be a mind pump camp at Burning Man. I feel like that would be epic. Oh, wow. um, but no, yeah, I... Like I've, you know, I, I would say I don't really enjoy alcohol all that much. I definitely don't like weed, but I have experimented with, uh, you know, mushrooms and I do, I do find them to be like a powerful nootropic yeah. and they enhance my executive function. So I, I'm- Oh, like, you're talking about microdosing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause taking I'm, a mega dose ain't going to do that. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I don't like, I don't like chemically indu- induced anxiety. And once I experienced like a little bit of anxiety from- from them. And I, you know, definitely don't want that feeling, but, um, but like, yeah, I don't like, I don't like ever losing control ever, but I do feel like it's, you know, they've done these like really interesting fMRI studies where, you know, it, it, you know, creates connectivity between disparate brain regions that Mm -hmm. aren't normally talking to, you know, one another. And to me, that's really cool. I, I definitely have noticed that, you know, and I've tried them, um, and I don't endorse trying them publicly because they're, you know, but, um, the research out of Johns Hopkins and NYU, fascinating. Super, super fascinating. We've talked about this. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, personal experience, like definitely have, have who are you rolling out there with? Are you so going out with the big fun group? is what it sounds like. Big group or by yourself? Who are you going with? I'm going with, uh, uh, two close friends and then we're part of a, a camp and then just having lived in LA for such a long time, I have going to know a ton, a of, ton of friends. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to be, did you bring like weird, are you going to wear like steampunk clothes and shit? No. Yeah. I went, I'm a, I'm such a like neurotic, like, I just don't want to die. I want to like make that. Yeah. You're like zinc oxide. I, I'm like, I need my electrolytes. I'm like, should I bring like protein powders or like, but no, I went to, um, this, this place, uh, like Uniqlo. I don't know if you've heard of Uniqlo. We all were big fans of it on the East coast because they make super high tech. It's a Japanese company. They make super high tech, like functional clothing that keeps you warm. Mm. And so I bought all this like warm shit to wear at night. 
Because so the no last nipple clamps and tutus. No, no nipple oh. clamps. And tutus, yeah. Maybe next year. Maybe the second year. All right. This year, I'm just I'm literally you're observing like, this year. All yeah. right. All I'm, right. I'm excited that you're going because I feel like you're one of our buddies that we yeah. can connect yeah, with. Do some research for us, bro. So, you're like you're like a version of me going to Burning Man. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna wait for you. If you come back, okay. <laughs> right. Maybe I'll yeah, go. Yeah. And, right. And we got you out. in. Uh, what I think you're at Podcast Hard, right? And at the end of September, we'll see you out in Tahoe, won't we? Are you out? Yeah. That'll be a fun event too. We're excited for that. We're throwing a big party on Saturday. That's be yeah. cool. Well, I tell you what, uh, it, you know, if you haven't listened to Max's podcast, uh, The Genius Life, you got to listen to it. Excellent, excellent podcast. You are definitely one of our favorite people. So we'll do this again at some point. Absolutely. Either we'll see you down in LA or we'll have you back up here. Have a great time and and Burning Man, please don't die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah don't die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay alive. Yeah. We like you. Thank yeah, you yeah, we so like you a lot, likewise, man. Likewise. And, uh, and that's it, brother. Good to see you again. Thank you, man. Yep. Sam, you guys rule. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now, plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>